Let's pray. God, as we look to your word this morning, Father, we just pray that in the little bit of time we have left, that you will just open our hearts and minds and speak to us truth, that it would be truth that is transformational, that, that we will be not only uh, informed but transformed by your word. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading about this um, town in Texas. It's in, uh, it's in what is called a dry county, right? So they still have these in the South a lot. Um, what that means is basically you can't go into the grocery store and buy alcohol. Um, in fact, most of these places don't even have any kind of bars and they don't serve alcohol in the restaurants and all that kind of stuff. Although it is usually legal in these places to do that, it's very difficult to get a permit to open a pub or a tavern or some kind of a bar or something like that. And this little town um, in Texas, there was this building going up and people began to ask around, what's the building? And the word came out that the guy is building a bar in town that's going to open in this dry county. And people got upset and people, some people were probably very excited, I would imagine. And then there were people who were pretty upset. And so what happened was the little country church, the pastor called a special prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. He just brought everybody together and, and it had gotten to the point because the guy had gotten all his permits and, and they didn't know how, but somehow, you know, he got some political favors or whatever. And the place was almost finished being built. And they said, you know what, well, we've tried everything. Let's pray. So they got everybody together to pray. And they were praying that Wednesday night, and as, during the prayer meeting, there were, um, you know, a storm began to come in, and by the time they were leaving the prayer meeting that night to head home, they were hearing distant claps of thunder and all of that kind of stuff. They woke up in the morning to find that during the thunderstorm, lightning had struck the new building and it burned to the ground. Okay, that's what happened. So, the owner of the bar having heard about the prayer meeting, sued the church, okay? So it gets better. So he sues the church for this, and the church says, hey, we, we don't control things like this. And so they hire an attorney, and they, they, they go to court, right? And the, they gather the parties together in the court, and the judge re has read the complaint, and he opens the proceedings with this statement. He says... Um, I'm not sure how this case is going to end up, but I can tell you one thing for sure. The, the um, bar owner believes in prayer and the Christians do not. Interesting, right? See, see the, the bar owner is saying, you guys prayed and that's why this happened. And the Christians are like, it's just prayer. You can't blame us for what God does, right? It was just prayer. And, and my point of telling this story, which I'm not even sure is a true story, it's just a story I read. Um, the, my point of telling this story is this, that as Christians, a lot of us are fairly familiar with prayer. A lot of us have been in prayer meetings. A lot of us have even a daily prayer time. And prayer is important to us. And it's a part of our sort of Christian ritual. It's a part of our religious system to pray. And yet, as much as we may pray, we often pray without any thought that we're actually connecting to a God who is actually listening to us, who has power and may actually respond to our prayer. So that we are surprised when something happens that was the thing that we prayed for. 
And how many times in my life have I prayed for something and then just moved on to the next thing and not given it much thought, only to find out later that the thing I prayed for was answered by God, and yet I didn't make the connection between the answer and the prayer and give God the glory, right? It's amazing how easy it is for us who say that we believe that, um, that prayer is an important part of our lives and that prayer is actually communication with the sovereign God, and yet it never even occurs to us that it's actually real, that God is actually listening, and that God actually does respond according to His will when we pray. And so it's important for us, we've been talking now, I believe this is the 17th sermon in this series called Faith Matters. Okay, and, and so I think that it's important for us as we wrap up this series, we've been talking about the life of faith and what it means to live by faith, and we've been trying to dispel some misunderstanding about this, and we've been trying to get down to the real nuts and bolts of what does it look like to live as though we actually believed in this God that we say we believe in, the life of faith. And so these last few weeks, we've been talking about prayer and prayer's role in this life of faith. Um, and hopefully by now we understand, and we're not talking about believing in the power of prayer. Okay, I've, I've said this three or four times, and I've said it in as many different ways as I can, but I'll just say it again and say it as clearly as possible. We have all heard people say there is power in prayer, and many of us have said amen. I want to tell you something. There is no power in prayer. Prayer does not have power. God has power. So we need to be very clear in our understanding that we talk about the life of faith, that faith doesn't have power. We need to understand when we talk about the prayer life, that prayer doesn't have power, but both faith and prayer are instrumental in walking with this God who does have power. And so the reason I make that distinction is because I don't want us thinking that if I pray the right way and pray often enough and pray with enough faith, then God will do whatever I tell him to do, like I have some magic mantra that I can make something happen. We're dependent upon God. He will act according to his will, but he calls us to pray and he often acts in response to our prayer not because we made him do it by praying the right way, but because he is God and he loves to relate to his people. So prayer is way less about getting things done and more about getting to know God. It's about how we relate to God. And so we've been trying to make that clear throughout this. And, and finally, we came to this model prayer that's in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, Take your Bibles and open to the first book in the New Testament, which is the book of Matthew. And last week, we, we um, started looking at and introducing this model prayer of Jesus that is so important to him that he drops it right in the center of the most famous sermon ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And right in the middle of chapter 6, he says, now let me tell you how to pray. And as we said last week, a whole lot of people memorize this written prayer and recite it over and over again. And we said, that's not the point. The point of this prayer is not to be able to recite it as if somehow if we say it enough, it will do something. The point of this prayer is to give us a picture of what it looks like to align our hearts with the heart of God in prayer. And he gives us some very clear details about what that should look like. Not every prayer that I pray has to follow this 
formula, but my prayer life in general should fit with this picture. And so we're looking at that, and we saw in verse 9, let me just read you the whole thing, the, the model prayer, beginning in 6-9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, last week we introduced this model prayer. And um, we talked about that whole subject of it's not about reciting, it's about getting our lives to line up with it. And we looked at verse 9 where we talked about he, this is a prayer for those of us who are in a father-child relationship with God, okay? This is not just some idea that whoever's out there, if you just pray this way, God will be impressed. He's saying if you've come into a relationship and God is your father and you're a child of God, then you need to have a prayer life and your prayer life should have something to do with this model that he's given us. Our father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we talked last week about how important it is that we remember that God's name is the name above every name. Amen. That, that the lifting up of God's name, the glorifying of God is really the reason we're here. It's what life is all about. And so we talked about that at length last week. If you weren't here, go back online, listen to the sermon, and you'll get that context. But I want us to go to verse 10 today and look at the beginning of verse 10 where it says, your kingdom come. And I don't know what you think about over the years when you have read this prayer or recited this prayer or whatever, or when you talk about um, when God's kingdom comes. Because there's really two ways to think about this. One is to think, well, the time when the rapture happens or when the return of Christ happens and, uh, and the sky opens up and Jesus returns with all his angels and he sets up his kingdom on earth or he brings us to heaven and we have his kingdom in heaven. And when we're praying your kingdom come, we're saying, oh God, please hasten that day. Now, um, that is an appropriate thing to pray. In fact, other, other places in the New Testament, we are told to pray for the quick return of Jesus. It's an important thing for us to pray for, but that's not what he's talking about here. When he's talking about his kingdom coming, think about a kingdom. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a place where there is a king who rules subjects, right? It, it's the, it's the um, place of authority of the king. What he's saying is, we're praying for Christ to reign as king in our lives and in the lives of other people. We're praying that God's kingship, if you will, would be made manifest in our own lives and in the lives of others, okay? So we're praying for his kingdom to come. And what is the primary um, um, piece in that puzzle of his kingdom coming, if that's what it means, is evangelism. It's that that somehow more and more people would come to know Jesus. That's when the kingdom is coming. As it comes in our lives, as it comes in the lives of other people, it means that people who have been walking and living their whole lives as if they are not accountable to God would suddenly come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, realize that they are accountable to God, and begin to worship Him as King. When does that happen? How does that happen? It happens as people share the gospel with other people and God graciously gives them the faith to believe and brings them into the kingdom. That's what we're talking about. And so we're, when we think about praying for his kingdom to come, we need to be praying and thinking as evangelists. Now, here's a tough question. You don't have to respond out loud, but I do want you to think about it. I want to ask you a compelling and difficult question. Here it is. 
How much do you care if people come to know Jesus? Now, your default setting, if you're a Christian, might be to think, I, I care a lot. really matters to me, okay? But let's remember, we've been talking about the life of faith. It's not about what you say you believe. It's about what you live out. And so I ask you again to think in your own heart, in your own mind, how much do you care? How compelling is it to you that people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus? There's a great man of God by the name of Dawson Trotman. And Dawson Trotman, if you don't know, is the founder of a ministry called Navigators, which is a worldwide ministry that has had a gigantic impact in the second half of the 20th century all throughout the world. Literally millions of people have come to know Christ and become followers and disciples of Jesus through the ministry of Dawson Trotman and Navigators. He's one of, if you have not ever been exposed to Dawson Trotman, I strongly encourage you, if you're a reader, pick up a biography on him. It's a fantastic read. One of the things that you will learn when you read this biography of Dawson Trotman is that there was a time when he was a young man, he was so compelled to see people come to know Jesus that what he did, and I'm not saying you should do this, I'm just saying this is what he did. He took out a globe and he spun it and then he stuck his finger down and stopped it and whatever country that it was in, he made note of that country and he did it eight times, eight different countries around the world. And he prayed this prayer. He said, God, allow me to be used to bring people to Christ in this country or kill me right now. That was his prayer. That was his level of seriousness about this. He said, either God, just, just allow me to reach the lost people of this world or kill me right now. Now, Dawson Trotman, that story is fairly well known. There is another man by the name of Dawson McAllister. Dawson McAllister was named after Dawson Trotman, okay? So wanting to know as much as he could about Dawson Trotman, he learned this story about this um, globe, and he just got inspired, and he said, I want to do the same thing. But he didn't have quite the same big picture, so what he did was he got a map of the United States, and he laid it out, and he closed his eyes, and he put his finger down in eight places, and he prayed the same prayer. He said, God, use me to bring people to know Jesus in all of these eight states or kill me now. Now, Dawson McAllister invested his life in a young man by the name of Dan Webster. And um, Dan Webster uh, went on to become uh, one of the most uh, influential youth ministry people in American history and has had a huge impact in making disciples of kids all around. And Dawson McAllister was telling this story to Dan Webster, and Dan Webster heard the story, and he got all excited, and he went home. And he pulled out, not a globe, not a map of the United States, but a map of Orange County, California. And he, he put pins on the map where there were eight high schools located, and he prayed over this map, and he said, God, allow me to be used to absolutely transform these eight high schools for Jesus Christ, leading these kids to Christ, or kill Dawson McAllister right now. <laughs> that was his prayer. And the, and the reason I know that story is because Dan Webster was my youth pastor. He led me to Christ, discipled me, and gave me a vision for reaching teenagers. And, and last night, this is just a little side thing, and, and I'm going to... 
I'm going to have to skip half my notes because I don't have enough time, but I'm going to tell you this anyway. Last night, um, I attended an event that was a uh, reunion of that youth group that I got saved in 35 years ago. And, and uh, there was all these people there, hundreds and hundreds of people, who had been led to Christ and discipled in that ministry by Dan Webster and those of us that he led to Christ and discipled. And when you looked around that room and you thought about all of the people that were there, many of them very well-known, guys that are leading giant churches, guys that are, um, that are writing books, people who are, who are influencing Christ, uh, influencing the whole world for Christ in that room. And you begin to think about the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who have come to know Christ just through that group of people and through the group of people they've reached. And it causes you to realize that there is a ripple effect in our lives, is there not? That you, you might just touch one life and not think much of it, but God uses that, and it goes out, and it changes the world. This is why we say, love God, love people, change the world. You don't change the world by going out and having, forming an army. You don't go and change the world by coming up with new, some new political system. You change the world as a Christian by loving God, loving people, rubbing up your life against people who need to know Jesus, helping them come to be followers of Jesus, and teaching them to do it for others. And so I ask you again, how much do you care? If people come to know Jesus, if we're going to take seriously his direction, that we would pray for his kingdom to come, we have to realize that we are a part of the answer to that prayer, and we need to take it seriously. And so we go to the second half of verse 10, where it says, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And just very quickly, I just want you to think about your own prayer life and to ask yourself this question. How often when we are praying, are we praying for things that are important to us, for us, with ourselves in mind? Lord, help me get this job. Help me do well in this interview. Help my headache to go away. Cause me to, you know, get a date with this guy. Whatever our deals are, and we're praying, God, please do this for me, do this for me. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. The scripture tells us to do that. It says we're supposed to do that. But how often when we are praying, are we thinking about something specific that's for us without really thinking about God's larger will? And, and how often are we really praying according to God's will? And, and listen, be careful with this because God's not dumb. And, and when you begin to talk to him and pray for things um, you better take seriously what he's talking about, right? And so before you start getting into actually taking seriously praying for God's will, looking for God's will, trying to do God's will in your life, you better ask yourself, what do I already know about God's will? What has the Word of God already taught me about God's will? Well, let me give you some stuff. And we won't look these up. You can write them down in your notes, look them up when you get home. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, your purity is the will of God. It says, this is God's will and then lays out a picture of sexual purity, okay? Say, so, well, I don't know what God's will is. Well, there it is. So let's start there. Uh, another thing, in, also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, this is God's will for you, that you give thanks in all things. Thankfulness is God's will. How thankful are you? 
I mean, let's get serious here. Are we either serious about God's will or are we not serious about God's will? Let's not get off into praying for these esoteric, oh Lord, may your will be done when I have no idea what your will is. How about when he's already communicated his will to us, are we taking that seriously? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, it says that his will for our lives is that we do good works. How seriously are we taking that? So God calls us not just to pray for His will to be done, but to align our lives with His will and to be involved in His will being done. And then we go to verse um, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And, and I won't take a lot of time on this because I am rushed. And, and last week I kept you guys seven minutes late and you should see the way you stared at me. So I want to make sure <laughs> I don't do that. But... Uh, but Here's the thing. It says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I don't know about you, so I won't speak for you. I'll speak for myself. It rarely occurs to me that I might not eat tomorrow. I fully expect to eat tomorrow. In fact, if I don't, I'll be very cranky. I expect to eat tomorrow. I'll tell you one of the things that happens, though, when you go into third world countries to minister and you find people who don't expect to eat tomorrow... It changes your perspective on this. And, and we, we sort of take for granted, you know, some of us are not, we live paycheck to paycheck. So, so we might say, give us this two weeks, our two weekly bread, right? Some of us might feel like, you know what, I'm fine financially. There's no way I'm going to starve. It's gonna, we might say, give us this year our annual bread. But what did God do with the children of Israel when they came through the Red Sea, right? He delivers them and they come out through the Red Sea and here they are. Now they are in this desert where there's no food. And they've just experienced this miracle and their first thought is, we should go back to Egypt. There's food there. We're in a desert. There is no food here. How are we going to eat? And God says, chill out. That also is in the message. God says, chill out. And he says, I'm going to give you food. And that next morning, raining down from the sky is what? Manna, right? And what does manna mean? Literally, the word manna means what is it, right? Today, we would use the word whatchamacallit. Whatchamacallit coming down from heaven, right? And that's what they called it. They had no idea what it was. They'd never seen anything like it. And they went out, and it was the best food they had ever had. And God said, listen, don't store it up. Don't take out the Tupperware. Don't, don't hoard it from anybody else. Don't do any of that. Why? Because if you do, it will spoil during the night. Trust me, I'll give you more tomorrow. And every day, manna came in the morning. And what was he trying to teach them? You need me every day. Day. Guys, we got to get that through our heads. One of the difficulties of being as affluent as we are, being so blessed and so comfortable, is that we actually lose sight of what is still true even for rich folks like us, and that is if God doesn't give you your next breath, you will not breathe it. We need to remember our dependence upon Him. And then in verse 12, it tells us that he takes forgiveness seriously. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let me ask you this. What if, how weird would it be if God actually expected us to forgive other people 
as graciously as He forgives us. I mean, that's insane, right? Like, can you imagine how gracious God is that He would expect you to be that gracious with somebody else? Except, that would be crazy, except verse 14 says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. Gulp. I don't have time to really tear this apart today, but let me just say this. Your willingness to forgive other people and God's forgiveness of you are intertwined. If you are forgiven by God, just like the man in the parable that Jesus said who had been forgiven millions, but he was unwilling to forgive his friend a hundred bucks. And what happened? God said, you're no son of mine. He threw him in jail, right? If you're a child of God, forgiveness in your life means forgiveness through your life. I wish I had more time to talk about it, but we got to take that seriously. And then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's so important for us to remember we desperately need God not just for our daily sustenance, not just for our forgiveness, but for protection. And I'm going to do something now that I, that I almost never do, okay? Here's the deal. Uh, if you haven't already seen, how many of you have seen, there's a new movie out called War Room. Anybody seen it? Um, if you haven't seen it, you have a homework assignment, go see it, okay? What I'm talking about with prayer is well depicted in this movie. I never tell people to go see movies. I don't agree with every detail in in the movie. That's not the point. The point is, it's an unbelievable picture of what it is like, how desperately we need God to deliver us from temptation, and how we fight that battle on our knees. And so go see this movie, War Room. In fact, if, if I'll do this. I know it's like 13 bucks to go to the movies. If you don't have the money... You go to the movies, you buy the ticket, bring it back, and Cole will pay for it, okay? (laughs) That's not actually true. He will not pay for it. Um, But go see this movie and get a sense of what God is saying about this whole idea of prayer, because our need for God to deliver us from temptation and protect us from the evil one is gigantic. And either we're going to get serious about this or we're just going to keep getting beat. It's as simple as that. And so as we look at this whole picture and we see this idea of this model prayer and the life of faith and how they fit together, I just want to say this. Do you pray and do you live as if you actually believed that God is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do? As you do that, as you grow in that, you will begin to see the fruit of that in your life, and God will amaze you as He changes the world through you. Let's stand together, and I want to pray for you.